everywhere. This is for you. Now entering the game from Philly Press Box Radio, Bill Furman and Jim Chet Chesko. It's Wednesday, November 20th, 2019. Welcome to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable, brought to you by the Irish River Station House in Langhorne, PA, and Allstate Insurance in Westchester, PA. I'm Bill Furman. I'll be your host tonight, along with my partner, Jim Chet Chesko. And Chet, the Eagles let one get away against a real good Patriots team. The Morgan Frost era has begun for the Flyers. The Sixers are playing inconsistent basketball with an 8-5 record. And the Penn State Nittany Lions hold their season in their hands, heading into the Horseshoe in Columbus on Saturday. Yeah, the Birds certainly did have their chances on Sunday. They got out to a 10 nothing lead and never sniffed the end zone again. The Flyers were on a roll when we last talked, but things didn't go quite as well over the past week. They've lost four games since last Wednesday, Bill, two of them in a shootout. I know you love those shootouts. The Sixers have been very inconsistent, as you said, frustrating to watch much of the time. And, yeah, the Nittany Lions are heavy underdogs, but maybe, just maybe, they'll pull off a surprise out in Columbus. We'll talk about all of that for sure. Yes, we will. And, hey, before we get lost in time, Chet, you had an opportunity to go to Beaver Stadium for, at the Penn State game this weekend with your dad to celebrate Veterans Day. It looked like a great time. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, in a nutshell, it was great. I mean, it was coordinated by the Penn State uh, military or the Veterans Affairs Office at Penn State. And with some help from Joe Callista, the father of Andrew Callista, one of our guests this evening, uh, he helped put the wheels in motion for that. So thank you, Joe. And my dad was looking forward to it. We made it happen. I was out there with him and my brother-in-law, Mark. Had a great time, and Penn State just did everything right for these five veterans that were recognized during the game. Took great care of us. Everything was on on schedule perfectly. Everybody involved, just wonderful. The crowd was great. So I'll be talking more about that later in the show, too. But, yeah, awesome time, and my dad had a blast. That's great. And then to follow up with a little local interview uh, on TV, which was really cool. And I didn't know. I'm glad you told me because I didn't realize that there were only five veterans honored. I thought it was much more. Yeah, uh, the actual World War II veterans, there were five of them honored during the first media timeout in the first quarter, so that was pretty cool. All these uh, guys, and one lady, in fact, uh, 94 to 97 years old, so pretty cool. Awesome, awesome. So uh, hats off to your dad, and uh, I know you're going, we're going to talk a little bit later about that, just a little bit with Andrew when he comes on, And uh, but hats off to your dad. Certainly we appreciate everything that he has done, and uh, best of health to him as well. Thank you so. And, hey, uh, next week is Thanksgiving, Bill, and I don't know if you know this, but Christmas is five weeks from today. Oh. Boy, did that get here in a hurry. <laughs> yeah, it did. Yeah, it did. And uh, we're going to talk about a little schedule change next week for Thanksgiving, but we'll get to that a little bit later on as well. Hey, we, we've got a couple great guests tonight. Uh, we're going to have Bleeding Green Nation's Brandon Lee Galton coming back. Always a friend of, uh, of the show. Been with us a couple times live as well at the Irish Rover. Looking forward to that. To talk Eagles and Sixers, we have Fox 43 sports anchor Andrew Kalista joining us. And, of course, Fred Hugo will be here to talk fantasy football, and we'll make our fearless picks again, Chet. Yes, we will. And, you know, we're like a half hour away from making our picks, and I'm still going back and forth on that Eagles-Seahawks game because I just don't know who's going to show up for the Eagles this week, literally and figuratively. You know, I don't know if the injured guys are going to play. I don't know how well they're going to play. So, Boy, I'm still going back and forth. I think it's going to be a close game, but 
Uh, Russell Wilson scares me, I'll tell you that right now, because uh, he's having an MVP caliber season, and he's going to be tough for the Eagles to stop. But let, let's bring our guest on and see what he has to say. Well, let's do it. We've got our lead-in done. Let's welcome Brandon Lee Galton from Bleeding Green Nation. Back to Philly Press Box Radio. Brandon, welcome. Thanks for having me, guys. Always a pleasure. Hey, Brandon. This, by the way, is your lucky 13th visit to our show, so uh, I'm sure it'll go well. Don't worry. Don't worry. You joined us at the Irish Rover. Yeah, you joined us at the Irish Rover for our show there three months ago, your second time there. We were all excited at that time about the Eagles season, all those supposed weapons on offense, visions of another trip to the Super Bowl dancing in our heads. It hasn't quite worked out the way we thought, Brandon. How much of it is injuries and how much of it is just guys getting older, simply underperforming? Yeah, I think the injury element is huge, specifically when it comes to just Deshaun. Deshaun Jackson and what he was supposed to mean to the team this year, having that big play threat, having a guy who kind of opened things up for the rest of the skill players on this team because – as you've seen, without Deshaun Jackson, they just don't have the same kind of speed on the field. There's no one really getting open easily on a consistent basis other than maybe Zach Ertz. The receiver position as a whole has just been abysmal. <laughs> They're producing at a terrible level. They can't catch the ball. They can't get open. Uh, no one can make a big play for Carson Wentz, really. There's no. There's never really a play in any game where you're, you're looking at a throw that – Carson Wentz makes and it might not be the best throw and, and a receiver makes it anyway and they make an incredible catch and by contrast you turn on literally any other game turn on red zone whatever turn just any other NFL game you will see catches like that made like routinely they will they will happen so it's just kind of been a really disappointing development for the offense well Brandon you know I, I always go to that offensive line and I think you know we saw it this week the fans are, are going crazy why don't they run the ball why didn't they keep running the ball well I think what happened is New England made some adjustments after that long drive, and they smacked the Eagles' offensive line in the mouth again, just like Dallas did, just like Atlanta did. And obviously, if you can't run the ball and you can't block, you've got lots of problems on offense. And then add those other things you're talking about, uh, it's big trouble. And I was really disappointed in that offensive line this week after the 90-yard drive. I agree, and obviously losing Lane Johnson was huge. That was, that was a big factor in uh, the offensive line, taking a step back. The Eagles just aren't the same team when Lane Johnson isn't out there and you're putting in Halafula Vadivaitai, who just, you know, is a, it's a huge drop-off. He was struggling. The offensive line as a whole, even your good players like Jason Kelsey, they just they weren't having their best game. And then when it comes to the running thing, I mean, like, I get it, but at some point, like, you have to pass the ball to win. You can't just run the whole game. That's not really how it works in today's NFL. You have to have a viable, at least a, at least a respectable passing attack, and the Eagles just do not have that at all. Uh, and it's not hard to see why. They just don't have anyone that's really threatening. And when it becomes a situation where you, you are you're in the spot where the Eagles are and basically your, your best hope of succeeding on offense is running the ball, well, then other teams are going to be expecting that. And it becomes less, uh, you know, harder for them to stop when it's, it's so predictable. And I think that's a big problem with the Eagles offense. Like this, this is supposed to be a group this year that was going to be able to switch between 12 personnel, the two tight ends and 11 personnel pretty seamlessly. And that was going to make them dangerous and unpredictable. But they've reached a point now where, Basically, you know, their only chance of succeeding more so is in that 12 personnel package, and teams are just don't really have to worry about the Eagles receivers that they're putting out there on the field. 
Hey, Brandon, I know it's only Wednesday as we speak here, but have you heard anything about the likelihood of Jordan Howard or Alshon Jeffrey or even Nelson Aguilar now who's missed practice today? Uh, what's the availability going to be for those guys this coming Sunday? Yeah, it's interesting. So, obviously, uh, Alshon Jeffrey returning to practice after missing all last week, although he was limited on Wednesday, that seems like a positive sign. Maybe there's a chance he plays this week. Jordan Howard still hasn't been cleared for contact, and it's Wednesday, so that's not the end of the world. But that doesn't seem like the best sign to me. It almost seems like the Eagles could be preparing to play without him. And obviously they have Jay Ajayi in here now, and he, he might we'll actually see some playing time this week after not playing at all uh, last week. So we'll see how that one goes, still kind of up in the air. And then with Nelson Aguilar, I think that one's interesting because Nelson Aguilar obviously went down holding his knee after failing to make that catch that would have tied the game at least against the Patriots. And he didn't come out of the game. Like He was on the field for that final drive they had where they attempted the Hail Mary. So it, the injury clearly wasn't so bad that he had to be you know, immediately carted off the field or, or couldn't play. He was still playing. So I almost wonder, given how bad Aguilar has played, if the team is kind of like letting him milk that injury a little bit or just to, to, to not give it the optics of their benching him. That's just a conspiracy theory I have right now, but <laughs> it makes me wonder. Yep. Uh, well, with with all this said, uh, Brandon, let, let's talk about Carson Wentz. He, he's certainly taken a lot of heat this week. Um, I'm not sure all of it is or, or much of it is warranted. Uh, you can't throw the ball where there's nobody open, and you can't throw the ball with the defenders chasing you. And then on, put that on top of it, um, he's probably trying too hard, forcing some balls, and making him look like a not very good quarterback that I think he really is. Yeah, I think playing in this offense right now has to be incredibly demoralizing because, like, what are you expecting to go right? I think it's at the point where, like, you, you can't even trust these guys to make a play because you've seen it through 10 games now. They're just – they're not doing it. He is – Carson Wentz is getting no help. It's not even like he's getting a little bit of help. He's getting no help. He's, no one is making a play for Carson Wentz. Basically, it feels like he has to be perfect just for the team to even have a chance. And then if he's not, like, forget about it. Then you get a game like the Cowboys game where they just get blown out. Um, he's, he's certainly – there's no situation where, or at least not very often, where like the defense is playing lights out and um, Carson Wentz isn't playing great, but the defense carries them to victory. Like That's not happening. Um, and I think with, with the way things are right now, I think Carson – there's room for him to play better. I'm not going to say you know, there's, there's, he's been perfect and there's nothing he could possibly do to be better. I think he needs to clean some things up in terms of pressing, in terms of – you know, his accuracy, but you know, what are you going to do ultimately? Like this, he's this team's quarterback. And I think you can only continue to build around him and try to build a support system around him and improve the talent at wide receiver, maybe make some coaching changes at the assistant level in the off season and kind of, you know, do what other teams have done and, and build around their quarterback and give him the weapons he needs. I don't think Carson Wentz has been put in a position to succeed by both the front office and the coaching staff this year. Yeah, and, and I kind of laugh, you know, at fans. It's a, it's a new thing, or, or it's a big thing that Wentz holds the ball too long. Well, he's not holding the ball because people are open and he doesn't want to throw it to them. He's holding the ball because he's trying to get somebody open, and his other choice is to throw the ball in the seats or, you know, hold on the ball, take a sack, or, or try to make, you know, make something happen. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that assessment. And that's, I'm glad you brought that up because I think it's funny 
like the the idea of him getting the ball out quickly. Who's he getting the ball out quick to? Like who's getting open instantly? Who's getting a good release from this team? This this team that has very like plotting and slower players. Like I just I don't see it, and I also don't see how really that's that's the recipe for success. Like if only Carson Wentz made shorter passes, then the Eagles would win games. Like no, like they need some big plays here. You can't just basically like the, the Eagles' best hopes of scoring and they've been doing it almost every week, is like going on these extremely long drives like they did against the Patriots and trying to string those together and control the clock. But, like, that's not sustainable every game and all throughout the game. Like, sometimes you're going to have penalties and or sacks, things that set you back. Like, you can't always stay on schedule every single play for 19 plays for an entire drive. Sometimes you need a big play to score quick, and the Eagles just don't have that at all. And that's, that's something huge that they're missing with Deshaun being out. Brandon, injuries aside, who or what has been the biggest disappointment this season? And then as a follow-up, how about a most pleasant surprise, if there have been any pleasant surprises? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I think you have to say Nelson Aguilar for biggest disappointment just because yeah. you know, the Eagles, they came into this season willing to pay him $9.4 million on that 50-year option. They could have gotten out of that. It wasn't guaranteed until free agency began. They had time to move on from that. And they made a bad assessment of their own player, and they, you know, they, they figured he would be around for a key role. And you know, he's been arguably the worst wide receiver in the NFL. You look at PFF's numbers, you look at Football Outsiders metrics, like a, a lot of different by a lot of different standards, he is like the worst wide receiver in the NFL this year. He is just not able to do anything right. His numbers, honestly, when you look at him this season are nearly identical to the ones he had when he got benched back in 2016 at the same point of the season around this time of year. So uh, I would say that's been a huge disappointment. And uh, what was your other question? Pleasant surprise. Have there been any pleasant surprises? Oh, pleasant surprises. Um, yeah, that's tough. <laughs> that's a tough I, one. I, I, I would say, I mean, I, I guess I feel like I should just give it to Brandon Brooks just because of how you know great he's been for the most part this season and how I mean, it's, it is a surprise in the sense of, I mean, this is a guy who he had that Achilles injury in, in January in the Saints game. We all saw him get carted off. And, you know, I think a lot of us thought, like, okay, he's probably not going to be back for week one. And sure enough, he was. And not only was he back for week one, like he's barely missed any playing time, and he's been awesome. He's been playing at a very high level. The Eagles obviously rewarded him with that contract extension last week. And he's been awesome. So I think, you know, it's not a, a surprise in the sense of we all knew Brandon Brooks is a good player when he's healthy, but, you know, we didn't know how healthy he was going to be and how good he was going to be coming off of that injury. So he's, he's really just been one of the few bright spots on the team this year. Hey, Brandon, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the effort from Jim Schwartz in that defense this week. I thought they played fantastic, uh, especially in the defensive backfield. I thought they were really good. Um, I don't know. I still don't know how they do it with no linebackers, but they they manage. Uh, I, I thought it was a real nice effort by the Eagles. I don't know that they can do it against Russell Wilson this week, but they did a nice <laughs> job against Tom Brady last week. I absolutely agree with you on that last point. That is that is my concern moving forward. I don't know how much of what we've seen out of this defense can kind of translate when you're playing a quarterback like Russell Wilson. You know. Uh, I do want to give the defense credit. They have played well, you know, albeit it has been against Josh Allen, Mitch Trubisky. And I thought Tom Brady kind of just looked almost washed up against the Eagles. Like he he was certainly not the Tom Brady uh, yeah. that we saw the Eagles face in the Super Bowl. And I don't think all of that was just because of the defense. I think he wasn't really executing 
that the way we, we usually know Tom Brady does. So I don't want to take all the credit away from the defense. Like I think Jim Schwartz has done a good job calling the game. I think you look at the secondary improvement and getting Jalen Mills and Ronald Darby back in there is a big deal. You know, those are the cornerbacks the Eagles won the Super Bowl with. I think those guys are clearly flawed, but also upgrades on Rizal Douglas and Sidney Jones. And when you look at this pass rush, you know, they only had, I believe, three sacks in the first four games this year, clearly underperforming at the start of the year, and that was a really big concern. But since then, they've turned it on. They have 22 sacks, I believe, in their last six games. So uh, the, the pressure is starting to build, I thought, for as much as Tom Brady didn't look good himself, they, the Eagles did sack him once, and they hit him six times. They made him look uncomfortable. They actually made him uh, – Tom Brady threw in uh, a career record for him, 14 incompletions in the first half. So the defense has done some good things, and that kind of gives you some level of optimism about the Eagles for the rest of the season. Brandon, we want to switch and talk a little 76ers basketball, but before we do that, uh, what's going to happen this Sunday? The Eagles are somehow one-and-a-half-point favorites. What do you think happens Sunday to Seahawks and Eagles? <laughs> I can't pick the Eagles in this game. I just think with the way their offense is right now, I don't know how you have the faith in them to be able to score enough. And I think Russell Wilson is just, I mean, he's, he's, he has 26 total touchdowns this year between passing and rushing. And he only has two interceptions. I mean, he's just playing at a whole nother level and he always kills the Eagles. He has eight touchdowns against the Eagles in his career and zero turnovers. Like he gives this defense fits they basically look like they have no chance of stopping him when he's out there. He just looks like anything that goes throw at him, it looks like he can handle. So I just I don't feel great about this one. I understand. All right, Sixers, uh, BLG, as we speak, they're uh, so-so 8-5, and five, but with a couple of games they should win on the schedule now, the Knicks tonight, the not-real-good-anymore Spurs on Friday. I know it's still early, but they just don't seem to be gelling the way we thought they would. How come? Yeah, really good question, and it is a, there's a level of concern there. I mean, I just feel like with the talent the Sixers have, they should not only be, you know, beating these teams, but also, like, beating them down. Like, some real – they should be putting some real convincing wins together. The fact that they've played down to the level of their competition has been – you know, that's not been very encouraging to this point. And I think you look at two of the most concerning things, and, and it has to be the, the Sixers' two most important players in Joel Embiid, who I think, you know, he just – he hasn't looked – quite at the level he's still very good obviously but he hasn't quite looked that he's taken that next step you know and he's, he's gotten in peak uh physical conditioning and he just looks you know really ready to kind of like tear it up and go on an mvp kind of campaign like they haven't had that from him and then with ben simmons i mean the jump shot is always going to be a thing until it's not which i feel like it's just always going to be a thing with him i mean uh the fact that you know teams just know how to play him and play off of him and he kind of just disappears in some of these games. It's just, it's not good enough. Well, Brandon, I, I, this is my soapbox. So I have to ask you, cause I ask everybody, this load management nonsense is making me out of my mind uh, and beat off with the suspension and the load management's already missed four games. Horford's missed the game already. You know, it, it almost makes the regular season to me seem like a bit of a joke and it, and it, it really bothers me. And I, I always say this to Chet and he, He's like, ah, you're just an old old guy that thinks about it the, the old way. But uh, it, it's just the whole, you know, Embiid's on a pace to play maybe 50 to 55 games and be healthy. Uh, that that bothers me. I think you have to find the right balance, definitely. I think last year, for example, like they were playing him too much. Like I think that was evident because by the end of the season, he looked gassed. Like he didn't look like he had anything left in the tank. 
And like when you looked at his minutes earlier in the season, I think he was like almost leading the league in minutes. And like that, that doesn't, I, I don't think that should be the case, especially now when you have Al Horford and Kyle Quinn here, like you have players behind him who can adequately fill in for him. So you don't want to be playing him, you know, all these minutes early in this, like he shouldn't be leading the league at all. I just, I, I don't, you don't want to go that far with him early in the season. Now, Again, I think you have to find the balance with it. I think you, you don't want to be too conservative either. Like You need to win these games. You're pushing for that one seed, that home home court advantage in the playoffs. So they have to strike the right balance here. And, uh, you know, have, maybe they've been a little bit too conservative to this point, but uh, they got to be smart about it. I mean, he's he's ultimately the guy who matters the most. Like, if he's hurt, then they don't have a chance. Like, it, it ultimately comes down to him. Brandon, I just got an urgent breaking news report from Bleacher Report. Ben Simmons hits a three in a regular season game. The crowd goes wild. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Is it real? <laughs> apparently. Apparently. So oh I'll gosh. have to watch that one later. Wow. Speaking of shooting, though, the Sixers have really struggled with their outside shooting in a lot of games. Do they need to change up their approach or just keep firing in hopes that they get better? Well, specifically when it comes to Tobias Harris, who obviously went through that cold spell recently. What was it, like 0 for 24? I mean, I, I see some ire out there about him, and, and people don't want him to shoot. I, I feel the opposite. Like, keep shooting. Like, get out of that slump. Like, find a way, because they need him to. I mean, this isn't a team that has a bevy of shooters on it. I mean, this, you're not, so someone has to shoot on this team, and Tobias, in theory at least, is going to be one of those guys who can do that, and he needs to do that for them. So I want to see them keep firing and taking these shots. I don't I, they need it again this isn't a team that this, that's going to come easy for them they don't have a lot of natural shooters so they're kind of just going to have to figure it out and someone's going to have to get hot and that's not going to happen if they continue to just kind of not take those shots hey hey Brandon one final question for me goes back to uh the coach uh what, what do you think about Brett Brown what's he going to have to do for this to be a successful season going forward yeah, to me, honestly, I I am one who believes the coach in basketball. Like, it only matters to a certain extent. I mean, you know, the, the talent to me ultimately wins out here. Um, and I I think if, you know, Brett Brown could be doing wonders, he could be doing the best he could possibly be doing. But if Joe isn't, like, the conditioning isn't right with him and he, he's being reckless with the ball on his own accord, He's playing out of the offensive system, and he's not making good decisions. And if Ben Simmons, you know, ultimately isn't spacing the floor, and teams are playing him a certain way that kind of limits everything for everyone else, like there comes to a certain point where I feel like Brett Brown can only do so much. He can't fix everything. I think he's good enough to where that if those players can get those issues fixed, he's not going to be holding them back. I think they, they'll win with him. But uh, you know, it kind of ultimately comes down to the players there. Gotcha. Well, all right. Well, hey, Brandon, we're about to run out of time. And before we do, let the listeners know where they can follow you, get all your updates, because you're all over it. Follow me on Twitter, at Brandon Gowton. You can read my work, writing about the Eagles for BleedingGreenNation.com. You can check out BGN's podcast. That's BGN Radio. All right. Well, we appreciate, as always, you coming by, and uh, we'll, we'll get you back for number 14 here before long. <laughs> Sounds good to me. All right, Thanks, Brandon. Guys. Thanks. Let's take a break to talk about the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne, PA. I tell you often about their terrific food menu, like their killer burgers, their great wings, etc. But they have frequent drink specials, too, and always 24 beers on tap. 
Lots of fun events as well. There's a holiday shopping event happening as we speak here on this Wednesday evening. A DJ every Friday night, live music on Saturday nights this weekend, Saturday night the 23rd. It's the great band Rougarou. Oh, on Black Friday from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m., it's the annual Black Friday gift card sale. Buy a $50 gift card and they'll throw in a $10 card. The Irish Rover is on Bellevue Avenue in Langhorne and on the web at irishroverstationhouse.com. Hi, football fans. This is Merrill Reese, and you're listening to Bill and Chet on Philly Press Box Radio. It's good! Well, Chet, and speaking of good, uh, I got my wish last night with the promotion of Morgan Frost to the Flyers. Uh, and he didn't disappoint in his first outing, although the Flyers struggled down there in Florida and lost that game 4-2. Uh, Morgan Frost, with his first goal, he did not disappoint. Yeah, I caught part of the game, and I did see his goal live, a nice backhand just in front of Bobrovsky. Hopefully we'll see many more from him. Uh, but on the downside, Carter Hart, while he made several real good saves, also led in a couple of iffy ones before getting pulled. Uh, that loss, though, I think was more about some shoddy defense and turnovers, and they got to clean that up, Bill. Uh, absolutely. The uh, the defense was, was horrible. Um, Hart, as you said, he started out, made four or five really nice saves right in the first two or three minutes, uh, but they let him down, and he let a rebound get out there that they, they ended up scoring on. But he got pulled early with uh, having given up four goals in about a period, a little less than a period and a half. But – you're right. They got to clean it up, and and there's going to be some big changes coming, Chet. Let me tell you this: uh, this Voracek, Van Riemsdyk, uh, Hayes, those guys—they're not producing, and uh, there's going to be some changes here pretty quick. I'm thinking. Yeah, and Giroux's not exactly producing either. He's on a pace for 52 points this season. That's not going to cut it. Uh, I saw a piece by Sam Carcidi today, our buddy who suggested that Calgary might be putting Johnny Goudreau on the block and that the Flyers should make a play for him. He's only 26, still a real talented guy, so I don't know what they'd have to give up. Probably a lot, I'm sure, but I would love to see that. Oh, I would too. I think it would be interesting, uh, you know, to see what kind of package they'd have to put together. But they've got, you know, the Konechny and Lindblom and – and Farabee and those guys at Sanheim, that's the future. That you can't you can't unload those guys. So uh, those guys are playing well. The interesting thing last night, Chad, I don't know how much if you did watch it all. Uh, James Van Riemsdyk ended up on the fourth line in the third period. Uh, he's got nine points at this stage of the game, and that's certainly not going to get it done. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Some of these uh, veterans are really underproducing so they're gonna have to step it up because i know the coach is not happy and he's not afraid to call guys out either so i know a lot of philly fans like that they like when the coach gets in these players face and you know doesn't hold back out in the public forums where he has the opportunity he'll mention that these guys Giroux, voracek have to be more more of a leader and have to contribute more too on the ice yeah i'm not I'm not sure. That's not the way I coached. Uh, you know, my, my coaching was more done on a one-on-one basis than uh, calling guys out that, uh, you know, whatever works to motivate. And obviously uh, he's been pretty successful. So you can't argue with that, but uh, it's going to be interesting. As, as we said, this roster was going to be a, an ebb and flow type thing. And it, it certainly is going to be, that's not going to change. I think we're going to see a lot more things happening. And, but back to the Morgan Frost thing, Chet, uh, 
you know, the quick hands on that goal was really good. But besides the goal, he played pretty solid. Uh, 14 minutes, 14 plus minutes in his first game, played real well. Yeah, I know he got off to a great start at Lehigh Valley this year, but then he kind of slacked off over the last couple of weeks, but they called him up anyway. And, yeah, very impressive opening game for him. And hopefully that's just the beginning. He's only 20 years old and obviously a lot of talent. He's put up some great numbers in, uh, you know, the minor league days and juniors. So I can't wait to see what he has to offer over the next five or ten years. Well, you know, it was funny. I was actually looking up his stats. This was uh, yesterday morning or day before morning, I guess. And I saw an article, uh, I was going to send it to you, actually, about Morgan Frost isn't ready, you know, hopefully by Christmas, maybe after Christmas, you know, whatever. And about two hours later, he got called up. It's like, well, there you go. It goes to show you that, um, that the press doesn't really know what's going on. You know it, Bill. All right. Well, we'll talk more Flyers as we go. Hopefully, they'll get back on track, Jet. It's, and, and, and I do like the fact that it is November and you are – into hockey that's good <laughs> yes well thanks to carter hart and a, a new coach I'm, I'm i'm in i'm in early this year bill there you go well, hey chad if you're looking for insurance in the tri-state area we've got the spot for you all-state insurance in westchester pa yes sir one of the best benefits of having an all-state insurance policy is getting a local agent like dave lavoy who is dedicated to you building that personal relationship means you can work with someone who knows you and understands your family's needs Someone you can call when you have questions or need help. Dave is dedicated to protecting what's most important to you and your family. Call Dave Lavoie at Allstate in Westchester, Pennsylvania, today, 610-430-0700. Again, that number is 610-430-0700. And, Bill, we say happy 72nd birthday, wow, to the great Joe Walsh. Chet, I don't know how these guys are getting older and we're not. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Man, 72. Love Joe Walsh. <laughs> Love the Eagles. Keep rocking, Joe. You know it. Hey, Chet, as mentioned in the opening, the Penn State Nittany Lions control their own destiny with a trip to Ohio State on Saturday. Nittany Lions are 18-point underdogs, Chet. I don't know that I ever remember that. Yeah, I mean, I know the Buckeyes are very good, obviously. They're undefeated. They're the home team. Uh, they got a lot of talent, but... That is a huge line. Hopefully the lines will prove the odds makers wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, this is huge for Penn State in the fact that, Chet, I was looking at their uh, their depth chart the other day for this game. They have yeah. about three seniors that even walk on the field. Uh, they are loaded with sophomores, loaded with freshmen, uh, just just about three seniors, and they're, they're defensive backs. And those defensive backs are going to have to be better. Uh, this week that's for sure yeah the defense started off the season great against some I guess lesser teams but the last few weeks they've been burned so that that is a concern because this is going to be a real test for them you bet well you had a chance to visit with our old friend Andrew Kalista this uh just this afternoon uh, to talk Penn State football how did that go and what's Andrew's uh thoughts on this coming game Oh, it went great, um, and Andrew's going to tell you where he's actually uh, talking to me from because it's, uh, it's pretty cool. So, yeah, I did indeed talk to him a few hours ago. Andrew covers the Nittany Lions very closely, so let's find out what he thinks about the game this Saturday and about the Lions in general. Andrew, 
joining me to talk Penn State football and a few other things. And hey, don't tell everyone where you are just yet because they'll be jealous. It's sports reporter Andrew Callista of Fox 43 in Central Pennsylvania. Welcome, Andrew. What's going on? Good to talk to you. Andrew, Penn State is coming off a hard-fought win over Indiana out at Beaver Stadium. They're now 9-1 and on the season, ranked number 9 in the nation, but have a very difficult challenge ahead of them, of course, a trip to Columbus to play unbeaten Ohio State. How good are these Buckeyes? I think the Buckeyes are the real deal. I think this is the best Ohio State team that they have had since Urban Meyer took them to the national championship with Ezekiel Elliott as their running back. They have everything from dynamic wide receivers to a running back in J.K. Dobbins to a transfer gift from the NCAA, which is absolutely a terrible decision in Justin Fields, so, who, by the way, is a former Penn State commit. So this yep. game pretty much has everything. In my opinion, they are just a, a very good team, top to bottom, and probably have the best defensive player in the country and probably should be invited to the Heisman Trophy ceremony, regardless of what has happened off the field with trips to Rose Bowl and loans and everything else in Chase Young. Yeah, Chase Young, 14 sacks this season, even with missing in the last two games. Very good player. Now, the last two years, Ohio State escaped with one-point victories over Penn State, 39-38 in 2017 in Columbus. We all remember how that ended. And then 27-26 last year in Happy Valley. Now, this year, Andrew, even though the Lions are 9-1, and they are 17- or 18-point underdogs this weekend. Is Vegas disrespecting Penn State, or are the Buckeyes really that much better? I don't think Vegas is disrespecting Penn State at all because when you look at the last two games that Penn State has played, the secondary for Penn State has been as effective as the marginal line against the Germans. So you cannot expect Penn State's defense, if you're Vegas, to magically somehow come in here and show up. And if you go back to the last three difficult games that Penn State has had, Michigan, they got spotted 21 points. And then the secondary not being able to protect the edge allowed that game to become close once again. How did Ohio State lead to a Penn State collapse last year at Beaver Stadium? They exploited the edge and flanker screens and, and, and passes, and Ohio State was able to win the game basically using that what was single tactic. Same thing goes with, with the game out in 2017. Of course, Saquon Barkley returns the kickoff. Penn State's out, an 18-point lead late in the third quarter. Penn State had a chance to put that game away after a fumble recovery from, I believe it was Torrance Brown. Did they? No, they were forced to kick a field goal. JT Barrett leads Ohio State back. What did he complete? Check like 21 passes in a row or something like that, or like 21 of like 22. But it, it seems to be a pattern. So why, if you're a Vegas trendsetter you set that line originally at 13 and a half and you watch that shoot up so i don't think vegas is disrespecting penn state at all maybe the rest of the nation is but i think vegas is right on it yep now penn state wideout kj hamler missed most of the indiana game he will hopefully be back on the field this weekend as of wednesday here we don't know how important is hamler to the offense Oh, he's extremely important because outside of Pat Fryermuth, who inexplicably was not voted to the top eight of the Mackey Award, you can't really blame the national voters on that because Pat Fryermuth goes in and out of targets with the way Penn State runs their offense. He's, KJ Hamler is the only other viable receiving target that's consistent. Justin Shorter against Minnesota, you, you saw that being a, a focal point in that. He struggled a little bit. Why? I'm not exactly sure. It could be the way Penn, the Penn State schemes run with the focus early on in the season of spreading the ball around to a lot of young receivers, getting them playing time, getting them in the groove. But then when it comes time to be one of the guys, maybe they're just not ready. And we've seen Penn State receivers struggle in the past with Juwan Johnson, Polk, suffered from drops last year. DeAndre Tompkins has suffered from drops. So there's, there's something going on with that. 
where the receivers just aren't in flow. KJ Hamler is one of those guys that is pretty reliable. He could get deep. He's one of the guys that could do that. Now, Dotson, the Allentown kid, he's the guy that could get deep and could be one of those reliable receivers. But is he ready to step up into the main primary go-to guy out on the edge? I'm not so sure about that, and that's a lot to ask from him against a team that is not the University of Ohio. It's the Ohio State University. We'll see if he's up to that task if K.J. Hamler can go. I mean, James Franklin said he'd leave that up to the medical staff. That is a standard response that we would expect to see with everything that uh, transpired in the offseason related to the medical staff and the coaching staff at Penn State. And, of course, each team has a pretty good quarterback, Sean Clifford, having a very good year, as is the Buckeyes' Justin Fields, who, as you mentioned a few years ago, had verbally committed to Penn State before going to Georgia and then transferring to Ohio State. Should be fun watching these two guys. Oh, I think that is going to be a a fun game. And, you know, as a, a guy who covers Penn State, seeing that 13 and a half points spread come out and then watching it balloon to 18 and a half, I actually think that is kind of a plus for Penn State because they could adopt that us against the world mentality. You hear me talking about the secondary can't really cover anybody right now, and I expect Ohio State to exploit that greatly. That's motivation that they could use because they are going to, that is going to be built up by them from the coaches. I know they take 1 and 0 each and every week. They're 9 and 1. They're a 9 and 1 football team that is literally getting no national respect to go in there and win this game. They are going to have people say all week that this was Justin Fields was really committed to Penn State and spurned James Franklin. That's motivation for Clifford, who, by the way, I love. I love talking to that kid in postgame interviews. He comes in, tells it like it is. He didn't turn the ball over for so many straight games, but yet at the same time he's in there saying, I miss this guy deep. I'm underthrowing him. I'm, I'm overthrowing these guys. And he owns every single mistake when he walks into the media room. I think Sean Clifford's a really good quarterback. It's something with the number 14 and guys from Ohio at Penn State. They know how to play the position. They know how to win. I think Sean Clifford is going to get there. I think next year is going to be a great year for him and what a game whether Penn State wins this football game or not to have him go into a hostile situation national audience at 12 noon on Fox is going to be a great chance for him to showcase his stuff and to say yes I should be the quarterback of the Indian Lions no matter who was committed here before and no matter who's going to be committed here in the next coming years I'm the quarterback for Penn State. All right, a couple of final things before we wrap up. First, as you're aware, Andrew, I was out at Penn State last Saturday with my dad and my brother-in-law, Mark, where my father was one of five World War II veterans recognized on the field during a brief Military Appreciation Day ceremony. Your dad, Joe, was instrumental in getting the ball rolling on that, and I know you had a hand in it as well, especially with the coverage from Channel 16. So thanks for all that, and my dad was beaming all weekend. It was amazing. Well, your your dad is the real deal. If one... 16th of American men had what your dad has, the world would be a much better place and and everything going on there. I mean, there are people that you admire and I've got to hang out with your dad a few times up at the garage and things like that. <laughs> but um, he's, he's a wonderful guy to talk to. There's just not enough good things that I could, I could say about him. I'm glad he had a good time. If anybody wants to know about your dad, I recommend them go to WNEP.com, search Chesco, and see the story that Chase Sr. did on your dad. And I know he met with them on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Just an awesome thing. I'm sorry that I wasn't at the game because I, I would have loved to have been down on the field with your dad. But just a tremendous thing. It was a good thing that Penn State did. Uh, I don't think we do enough of it. And I want to give a shout out to Knobles Grove because they honored your dad earlier this yep. past year as well when he was up there. And I know my mom and dad were up there. So it, it, it's about time that World War II veterans are, are getting their, their just due for everything that they did. I know I was over at Normandy this year for the 75th anniversary. That was a tremendous experience just getting to see everybody. And it, and it really makes you, when you see things and you get to meet people, it really 
this is me speaking for myself, how insignificant my life is and things that I've done. So if there's any way that I could possibly give back to people who deserve it, I, I, I love to do it. And I, I'm really grateful that your, your dad had a great time. And um, hopefully he gets, he's up for more Penn State games at the Calista tailgate because I want to be there with him to throw back a few. Yeah, it was terrific. And finally, you mentioned you weren't at the game. We kept our listeners in suspense, Andrew. Tell everybody why you weren't at the game, where you are right now, and why you're there. Well, right now I'm actually staring at turquoise blue water and some palm trees, and I'm on the Riviera Maya down in Mexico on a mini honeymoon because when my wife and I were searching for wedding dates, she originally picked the day of the Penn State Michigan game, and I said absolutely not. So we had to uh, we got engaged November 5th of last year. We had to quickly plan a wedding. We got it done right before high school football season, and we could not go on our honeymoon the following week because high school football season was kicking off in Pennsylvania. So, you know, priorities, obviously. <laughs> um, so that kind of got delayed, and we had a date picked out. Turned out the weather was bad, so we had to make, during the bye week in the, the Minnesota game, so we had to make a quick adjustment here. And it just so happened that we had to do it the Indiana week because of both of our, our schedules. So that's why I missed the Penn State home game. Normally that's not my thing, but I was able to see it through other, other means. So I'm having a good time down here. I'm actually having some Miami Vice with some adult beverage inside of it. Hmm. Trip's about to wrap up because I have to be back for the Penn State Ohio State game and more of the state quarterfinals in uh, in the PIAA football playoffs. If you're in central Pennsylvania, watch Andrew on Fox 43 TV and wherever you are. Follow him on Twitter, at Callista Andrew. Thanks, Andrew. Go Penn State. And again, congrats on the marriage and enjoy the rest of your honeymoon. Hey, Chet, thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. Yep, go Nittany Lions. Make a statement out in Columbus. <laughs> Hey, Chad, I got to say, if I if I could tell Andrew this, uh, first, thanks for doing this for us while he's on his honeymoon, but his wife's a keeper. He better he better be sure he's got that taken care of. Yeah, that is awesome. As he said, you got to have the priorities in order, you know? Uh, that's <laughs> Pretty right. funny. Well, well hey, I wanted I want to hit you up. Good stuff from Andrew and uh, all, all right on target. But, boy, 18-point underdogs. Who who you like in this game? You, you taking the points? Oh, man. You know, I think while I would love to see the upset, i got to say Ohio State's going to win. I'm hoping Penn State makes it a good game, though, and at least covers, but Ohio State's really good. I'm going to tell you, you heard it here first, Mr. Chesko. Uh-oh. I don't, I don't know if Penn State's going to win this game, but this is going to be one of my favorite punch-in-the-mouth games. This is going to be an LSU-Alabama game. Penn State's not going to be afraid of Ohio State. Ohio State's got a lot of hype, has not played the tough games in their schedule yet. Penn State will be able to go in there. They'll play well. Can they cover? We'll find out. Cover receivers, I mean. Uh, we'll find out. They'll be have to be better than last week. But Penn State's not going to fold. James Franklin's not going to let that happen. Now, whether James Franklin has the – Moxie to win some of these close games, that remains to be seen. But I think Penn State is going to this is going to be a dogfight. Yeah, they really need K.J. Hamler, though. So hopefully he has a speedy recovery and gets back in the lineup this weekend because they could use him for sure. Yes, yeah, sir. Well, hey, Chet, let's give out a shout to the PPCC 118 Raz Room. They post great sports memorabilia on their Facebook page so people can take a chance on winning something they may not be able to afford or have access to. All items come with certificates of authenticity. They continue to run out great autograph items from all the Philly sports teams and more. There are only 21 lines available, so your chances of winning are 1 in 21. 
pretty good odds. Check out the Facebook page. Like it or follow it. It's PPCC118RASROOM. That's right, PPCC118RASROOM on Facebook. Let me see if this works, Bill. Let me just see if this works. I'm not sure if it will, but I'm going to give it a try. Bill Aquina, a below-average three-point shooter there. There you go. Mark Zumoff with the call. <laughs> there you go. You've been <laughs> well, waiting for that, haven't you? <laughs> I have, yes. We've all been waiting for that one, Bill. Oh, jeez. All right. Speaking well, hey, of waiting, waiting. We're, we're waiting on Fred. There, there he is. There you are, Fred. Get that music playing, Chet. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry, Fred. I, I had it 744 on my script, and so you're you're right on schedule, but you need the music to make it official. Here we go. <laughs> there you go. That's when we know it's Fred Butter's fantasy football time. Fred Hugo, welcome back for week 12. It's getting, uh, getting down to the end of the road for this season in fantasy football. I know. We're coming to the end. Playoffs in two weeks. Real quick, we don't have to elaborate on it. I know we've got to be fast, but Ben Simmons hit his first three-pointer. I just played the audio from Mark Zumoff while we waited for you because I, I rushed out to get that. <laughs> I'm all excited. I'm all excited. I saw it, too. That was pretty cool. <laughs> all right, Fred, what, what tell us got? what's going on this week. All right, so starting at quarterback, there's not many on the waiver wire. We're at the end here, but there may be some scraps. Um, Baker Mayfield has a good matchup against the Miami Dolphins. There's Sam Darnold that's out there against the Raiders. And I would actually pull Carson Wentz off that bench this week against the Seahawks uh, secondary, if you have, depending on who your starter is. Uh, Moving to running back, uh, Jonathan Williams is a guy that's out there from the Indianapolis Colts. Um, He's benefiting from Marlon Mack being injured. He had 147 yards last week. He's a guy to grab. Other than that, you're looking at handcuffs. I would pick up Alexander Madison on the uh, Minnesota Vikings because if Dalvin Cook goes down – you got a sure stud number one there with him. Uh, wide receiver, Corey Davis broke his hand, I think, a week or two ago. He's a guy that you could pick up and has a nice matchup for the playoffs in, like, week 15, 16, that he might be a guy you could snag. And then I like Hunter Renfro of the Raiders against the Jets. He's definitely on the waiver wire. It's a great matchup this week against the Jets. Golden Tate killed them, and that type of receiver uh, picks them apart. Uh, moving to tight end, I've, I've said him a few times this year. He's been underwhelming, but I'm going to say him again. Noah Fant, he had 11 targets, about four catches, 60 yards last week. He's a guy you could grab. And Goddard, who I predicted to score a touchdown, scored. is a great matchup this week because uh, the Eagles, the the um, geez, the Seahawks give up to the tight ends, like third most in the league or something like that. Um, and then moving to the defenses. I like the Browns, Raiders, Steelers, and Lions, D, who have all good matchups against bad teams um, and, and quarterbacks that really can't move the ball. Well, the Jets a little bit, but but that's all I got for uh, for fantasy this week. All right. All right, Fred, I just have one fantasy question for you. I got thinking about this the other day with that Christian McCaffrey. He slowed down a little bit, still putting up huge numbers. Uh, how has how he affected the fantasy football world uh, this year? He he's a, he's like that's he was a top three guy and that's that's what you expect production wise out of him. I, I in a couple of leagues I told people to take him one. If it was a point per reception league, I said you should take him one because he catches a lot out of the backfield. He's done with he's done more than is expected, but that's what you want out of out of a number one top three pick. You know they need to produce twenty five to 
30 points on average, and then you get them weeks where they get 40, 45. So he's definitely impacted it. But if you don't have the pieces around him, it doesn't even matter. You get 40 from him and five from everyone else, or even 10 from everyone else, you're, you're still going to lose. Gotcha. All right. Well, here we go with our – well, let's – we got to do our NFC East picks. But, Chet, how did we do last week, and what are the standings? Well, Bill, you and I had a very good weekend going 3-1. and one, But we did pick the Eagles to get past New England, which, of course, didn't happen. Fred used his head and picked the Patriots. So he had a great weekend going 4-0. and oh, I'm sure he enjoyed being there, even Ooh. though it was a lot. Yep. The standings remain very tight. Bill in the top spot at 27-14. and 14. Don't get too used to that, Furman. Fred, now just one game back. I stay two games off the pace, and there are just six weeks left on the schedule. Mm. Okay, so here we go, week 12. Let's start it out. We have Giants at the Bears. The Bears are minus 6.5. The Lions visit the Redskins. Lions minus 3.5. Cowboys visit the Patriots. The Patriots minus 6.5. I've added the Packers at the 49ers. 49ers minus 3. That could be a good one. And last, the Eagles host the Seahawks. Eagles minus one and a half somehow. So, Fred, Giants at the Bears. Bears minus six and a half. Who do you like? I don't even know who's starting. Chase Daniel or Trubisky. I'm not sure how they're six-point favorites, but I don't know why. I, I think the Giants can win here. I, I just I just think they can. I, I don't think the Bears can score at all. The Giants' defense isn't good, but their offense can move the ball somewhat. I'm going to uh, take the Giants on the road. Hmm. Yeah, you may be right, but I wrote down Chicago. I'm going to stick with it. I'm going with the Bears. I'm going with the Bears, too, only because they are at home. And for some reason, I don't know what Vegas knows at minus six and a half, but I'm going to roll with them on this one because I can't figure this game out. I can't figure this next one out either. The, the underachieving Lions is it the lousy Redskins. Lions minus three and a half. Yeah, me either. I was thinking that, too. <laughs> but I guess because of Driscoll. That's why I, I just the Redskins are so lousy. I'm I'm never I can't even pick them with, with my with my head or my heart. So I could see I can't see how Haskins. I'm, I'm taking the Lions. <laughs> yeah, the Redskins stink. I got to go with the Lions also. Yeah, I have to go with the Lions too, but they stink too. So I'm going to go with them, but uh, only because the Redskins are that bad, I guess. Cowboys visit the Patriots. Patriots minus six and a half. Bill Belichick gave his boys Monday off, I guess, for the first time this year after beating the Eagles. Uh, he's not too concerned about the Cowboys. How about you guys? Six and a half. I, I think Dallas matches up well because the the, um, the Patriots offense isn't that great. But, I mean, it's in Foxborough. I, I'm taking the Patriots. I, I don't uh, – Dallas is – up and down, you know, they almost lost to the Lions last week. They were losing multiple points of the game in last week against Jeff Driscoll. I'm taking the Patriots. You know, guys, I have this sneaking suspicion that Dallas is going to win this game, but I am not going to pick it. I am not going to give in to that because I just can't root for them and I don't want to be right. So I'm taking New England and I'm hoping that the Patriots show up and play really well and Tom Brady gets rejuvenated. Go New England. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with this for for some logic. Okay, I'm gonna give you actually logic. It's not just that I hate the Cowboys. That New England defense has everybody in the tri-state area, Delaware Valley area, talking about how bad the Eagles' offense is. Maybe they are, but the Patriots' defense is really good, and maybe that's why the Eagles looked as bad as they did. I'm going Patriots, and they're going to be tough to win throughout. 
That's how good I think that defense is. All right. All right. Packers at the 49ers. 49ers minus three. Fred, I know you like both of these teams. You've been riding the Niners, but I know you're a big fan of that Aaron Rodgers. So who you got? I'm going to stick with the Niners. The Niners defense at home. Um, I, the Packers had some games that the refs gave to them, to be quite honest. <laughs> so, um, not that they're not – they're still a good team, but um, I'm going to take the 49ers here. I think their defense prevails, especially coming off the loss as well. I got to tell you, this uh, five-game pack that we're picking this week is one of the toughest we've ever had, four or five games, because they all could go either way. And in this one, I'm taking the visitors. I don't know why. I just have a hunch Aaron Rodgers is going to have a big game. Packers win. Well, that's – the reason you're taking that is why you're in last place, because the 49ers <laughs> are going to win this game at home. Right, Fred? Okay. Yes, sir. <laughs> all I'm right, all 49ers. right. All right. Eagles host the Seahawks. Eagles minus one and a half. Fred. That spread started at minus three, so it's falling back the other way because of how – and typically when a line moves that way, if it gets to Seahawks' favor, that, that doesn't spell, smell good for the Eagles. Um, I think the Eagles will play a lot better this game. I think um, I, the defense has played well the last three weeks, but I don't think they've faced an offense the caliber of this offense. Russell Wilson's like an MVP quarterback. We haven't beaten Seattle in like 30 years, and, and it's not going to happen on Sunday. I'm picking against the Eagles again, unfortunately. Um, Seattle is going to win this. Guys, I mentioned at the top to Bill, I have no idea who's going to win this game. I don't know how it's going to go. I am literally picking or using a coin right now to make my pick. Heads, Eagles, tails, Seahawks. <laughs> and it is tails. I'm picking Seattle. There you go. Ugh. Well, and, and I'll tell you what, I don't ever pick against the Eagles, but I, I tell you what, if Lane Johnson was playing, I would take the Eagles. It looks like Lane Johnson is probably not playing. Uh, that offensive line, I always go back to that, it was a bit of a train wreck. I'm going to go Seattle. Um if the show was on Friday and Lane was playing, I would go Eagles. That's how much of a difference I think he can make. But since we're here on Wednesday, I'm going to have to take Seattle as well. All right. So, Fred, before we let you go, let the listeners know how they can follow you, and we'll go from there. Follow me on Facebook, Fred Hugo. Just search me there. And then on Instagram, at Fred Hugo underscore, as well as Twitter, at Fred Hugo underscore, and then there you can see all the different things I'm doing. And um, I tweet them out and send them all out and message me if you want as well. All right, man. We will talk to you next week. Oh, Tuesday next week, Fred, so make a note. Tuesday. Okay. Go Birds. Yep. All right. Thanks, Fred. All right, Jet. Uh, let's talk about our guest next week and our schedule change. Yeah, next week, Bill, because Thanksgiving and the night before is a big family night and or party night. Let's go with party night in my case. We'll be doing our show on Tuesday evening, and we have two awesome guests. Mike Sealski stops by. Yeah, Mike Sealski to talk about the Philly sports scene and to share some memories of the late, great Bill Lyon. And I'll have an interview with another of Philadelphia's legendary DJs who has been doing middays at 102.9 WMGK for more than a quarter century, the awesome Debbie Calton. Debbie is retiring in early December, and she is awesome, and I just know she's going to have lots of great stories for us. So Mike Sealski and Debbie Calton next Tuesday evening. All right, very good. Uh, uh, Parting shot to you, Mr. Chesco. We're getting up against the clock. 
I'm going to talk a little more about this, Bill. As noted earlier, I was out at Penn State on Saturday for the Indiana game, and specifically to be with my father as he was one of five World War II veterans recognized during the university's Military Appreciation Day activities. First of all, again, big thanks to Andrew Callista's father, Joe, for helping to make that a reality for my dad, who was just beaming the whole day, as I said, and to Penn State's Veterans Affairs Office. Everything was absolutely perfect, and it was just a great day all around. And I'm not kidding about this. During the course of the day, there were at least 80 people who made it a point to thank my dad for his service, including two Lions players as they were going through the tunnel onto the field, and at least two dozen folks who stopped by to have a conversation with my father. So it was really heartwarming to see all that and a day that neither he nor I will ever forget. Fantastic. And like I said, thank you to your dad for his service. And uh, those World War II guys are something special. And that interview was really something special. Um, do, do you have that link, Chet? Could you give that link out to people if they didn't see that interview with your dad? Do you happen to have that at your fingertips? I put it on my Facebook. Uh, if you just go to WNEPTV.com and, as Andrew said, search Chesco, it'll come right up. So WNEPTV. Okay. Yep. Uh, all right. And I also have it on my Facebook page as well. There you go. Anything else before we wrap it up? Um, no. <laughs> all right. Go Penn State. That's... Go Eagles. And let's go Ben Simmons for a couple more threes. What do you think? Oh, man. I can't wait to go home and watch that about ten more times. All right. Well, we've reached the top of the hour, so let's thank tonight's special guests, Brandon Lee Gowton, Andrew Kalista, and Fred Hugo. Sponsors, the Irish Rover Station House, Bob Sullivan's LikeYourAge.com, PPCC 118 Raz Room, and Dave Boy of Allstate Insurance in Westchester for their continued support of the show. For Jim Chetsesco, this is Bill Furman. We hope you enjoyed the show. We'll join Philly Press Box Radio next Tuesday, November 26th at 7 p.m. You can listen to our website, phillypressboxradio.com, on blogtalkradio.com slash phillypressboxradio. Or you can find our podcast on iTunes, TuneIn, Spotify, and a bunch of others. High hopes, Philadelphia sports fans, and go Birds!